1: hi i'm alexis the midwife and i'm becky the doula and this is our podcast notes from the mother box on a mission to get people talking
2: with five kids between us we know that as wonderful as it is the parenting road can be a bumpy one And that's why we want to break it down, talk it through and help make it all feel a little less overwhelming. We've seen firsthand that sharing
1: our experiences can help others going through the same thing. Whatever our journey, whatever
2: our story, it can all feel a little better after a good old natter. Welcome to Notes from the Mother Box. Hello!
1: Today's episode is a little bit different. Today, Becky and I are going to be spending a bit of time interviewing each other. Digging a little bit deeper and seeing if we've been keeping any secrets from each other over the last few years that we've known. Exciting. We've known
2: <laughs> so should we start by talking about how we met? Absolutely. Because I always love when whenever we talk about how we met, because people always ask, you know, how did you two start working together, doula and midwife? It's an odd combo. Lex always talks about the fact that we met through Instagram, which she nicknames Tinder for Mums, Tinder which for I moms. love. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: Basically, I obviously follow a lot of people through um, Instagram who have anything to do with birth work, being a midwife myself and had you know clocked your account a while ago and then started following you. And when I saw that you were moving down to Brighton... I thought I'm going to get in touch with her. She seems like a lovely one. And um, Becky really bizarrely was moving into a similar
2: area to where i was living and our kids were going to the same school i know and it was amazing because you were so helpful you gave me loads of tips about where to go and you know like really good places family friendly places and obviously where when to you're get moving, the best brunch Becky, yeah where to get the good coffee you're welcome and when you're moving to an area that makes such a difference actually and yeah, then absolutely. we arranged to meet for a cup of tea and have a quick chat i think the kids hadn't even started back at school yet had they it was the summer holidays no, exactly. oh no they had they'd just gone back That was it, because I remember we were chatting and we got so caught up in birth chat that we nearly missed pickup. Do you remember we had to leg it off? Because we were going to meet up for an hour for coffee and then we
1: just got into the throes of talking about how we didn't feel like women were supported enough postnatally and just all the experiences that we would both had over the years. Because obviously I've been a midwifery since 2004. And Becky, how long have you been? working with women for? Uh, 2003 I left my previous job yeah. So similar length of time so there are lots and lots of stories to tell and you just know sometimes you just meet someone and you're just like that's my person and we we just hit it off didn't we we hit it off so well.
2: And then I think it was only the second time that we met that I had said, Oh, you know, I love working with women and I'd really love to put together a sort of box that women have after birth that really encourages them to, you know, kind of look after themselves and nurture and heal. And you were like, Oh my yes. God, I had exactly the same idea. And many other and cultures do it. Many,
1: yeah, many exactly. other cultures do this like gifting, lovely, nurturing, nourishing things to new mums and expectant mums.
2: Yeah. And then I think maybe by our third meetup, we hadn't even unpacked the house yet. We still had boxes everywhere. And I I came home and announced to my husband that I was uh taking out a business loan and setting up a business and he was like what didn't you two just meet I know it was (laughs) it was amazing it was a whirlwind but it just totally made sense
1: and sometimes you know when when you know you know and that was exactly what happened and of course you were unpacking still and I still was carrying my baby around my neck my um four-month-old little Wolfie so he was so little then wasn't he I know it's amazing isn't it so I guess it's it's interesting to hear about obviously back in 2003 how you got into doing the work you do now really
2: so I danced for a little while when I left school and then I got a job in a production company and I always loved sort of film and tv and theatre and So I worked as a producer for a a company that made trailers and TV commercials for film releases. And we did some pop promos and stuff as well. And I really loved it. It was really fun. But I have always, like when I was little, I always quite wanted to be a doctor or a vet or, uh, you know, I've always quite liked playing the Mm. caring role. And so it was quite funny. I always had in my office, I always had a drawer of, you know, Concoctions, and when people had headaches, they'd always come over. And I suddenly thought, God, you know, I really need to move into something where I'm, I'm helping people. Mm. And, um, and so I started doing my training while I was still working. And I did a remedial and sports massage course, and then another soft tissue course. And then I specialised in pre and postnatal, and I just loved it. And I started getting loads and loads of pregnant clients. And one of them asked me if I could go and massage her at her labour. And I was a bit like, um, no, I'm not sure we're allowed to do that. And she was an American woman and, and doulas were very big in America at yes. the time. And she said, no, no, yeah, you totally can. You can come. And so I checked with my insurance company and they were like, I mean, yeah, you could do. So that was my first, 2003, my first birth. And um, yeah, it blew me away. I, ne- I never looked back. You know, I did loads of massage and she had this beautiful home birth. And yeah, it was just, yeah. The, I mean, birth is amazing, like isn't experience. it? It's stunning. So that was that yeah fantastic and how about you because I know that you didn't start as a midwife you did a degree before that didn't I you did I did I
1: ended up going like when I was sort of 18 and applying for university I, to be honest with you I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do and I ended up doing basically a sociology degree and um, one of a couple of things came together during that time one of which I, I studied women's studies women of the world and I found it brilliant and fascinating and interesting and And then the other thing that was happening alongside that was that I was working as a healthcare assistant to fund myself through uni, basically. Mm. And I was coming into my last year and thinking about what I was going to do afterwards. And I thought, I really, really love my healthcare work that I do. And I contemplated very briefly whether I might go and do a nursing qualification. But I think with the women's studies as well, and at the time the dissertation I was writing was all about actually it was all about women being trafficked and sexually exploited so it was was a bit of a different subject but Mm. you know I was I was knee deep in that and I I started thinking about what I wanted to do afterwards and I thought I'd actually love a career that focused around women and you know changes that we go through pivotal moments in our lives that integrated the kind of caring aspect as well and of course midwifery you know, just seemed like the perfect career to to sort of go into. I think then one of my friends mentioned to me, oh, do you know, back in, you know, hundreds of years ago, people thought of midwives in the community as sort of the witches of the community. And I thought, oh, yeah. I I feel like (laughs) that's just that's just like concrete now I just think I need to go into this career and it was just the absolute right move for me and so I ended one degree and went straight into my midwifery and I really haven't looked back and I often think to myself what would I be if I wasn't a midwife and I really can't think of something that would be a better fit for me to be honest and the experiences like you I've had over the years of supporting women and their families Mm -hmm all different aspects of life, different times, you know, in their pregnancy, birth, postnatal periods. I worked for 10 years at a big London trust and I was a caseloading midwife. So I got to be there round the clock on a lot of occasions for my young women I worked with. I was a teenage pregnancy midwife and I just, you know, my twenties, they were were twenties well spent. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And then obviously having kids myself, I've got three children then, you know, it was it was just so relevant when I was going into that period of life myself and we were ready to start a family. Yeah. And then in recent years, working with you and doing the mother box and writing the books. You know, Obviously, we've got we've got our two books out, The Little Book of Self-Care for, for New Mums, which was the first book we wrote a couple of years ago. And then our new one that's just about to come out, The Little Book um, of Self-Care for Mums to Be you know, it's been
2: an honour. It's been such a brilliant time um, in my yeah. life and it's been a fantastic career. Amazing. So on that note, tell me about a moment in your career that you'll never forget. I know it's hard because it's obviously so we were with birth, hard. right? I know. <laughs>
1: and you and I've discussed this so many times because once you've worked with literally thousands of women over, I don't know, like, I mean, maths isn't great, but obviously going back now, sort of 16 years of doing this, It's difficult to pinpoint, isn't it? But I do often come back to a moment that I suppose was a really bittersweet moment really in my career because it was an honour, but it was also a little bit sad as well, if I'm honest, was back when I was working with teenagers and I was looking after a lovely girl who was probably around about 17 years old and she um, was seeking asylum in the UK and she was a Somalian girl. And for our first a few months of meeting and I was very lucky because I worked on a program whereby I was going to be working with her for two and a half years so it's a bit of Amazing. a you get to know them lovely and gently yeah. and you don't sort of force anything that they're not ready to tell you at that time yeah and i knew that she'd had a really quite frankly horrific experience um in her early teenage years and what had ended up bringing her to the uk was you know nothing that any of us would have wanted to ever go through in our lives and i remember i had a translator who would come along with me? And it's always a bit tricky when you've got a third person there and you're trying to have a conversation with each other. Yeah. And she was ever so bright. And like I said, a few months in, she actually said to her social worker, "I don't want the translator to come anymore." She'd been taking English language courses, and she picked it up so quickly, much cleverer than me. I wouldn't be good yeah. at picking up a language so quickly. To the point where she was able to say, "Maybe can we not have the translator anymore? I want to speak just to Alexis face to face, just the two of us," which firstly it was an honour in itself and I was yeah. you know really pleased and excited that she'd said that and then she said I'm ready I want to tell you about my life and what what my life has been like until this point point." and she you know told me things that she'd experienced really really tragically awful things that happened to her family and it was a moment where I sort of I sat on my hands and I was looking at her telling me the story and I thought to myself I really have no comeback um, with what you're telling me right now. I'm just going to listen. And I Mm. think it's in our nature, definitely as a doula and a midwife, maybe also, you know, as women, as mothers, that you just want to fix things and make things better and put over an emotional, you know, plaster and be like, okay, well, you've told me this and perhaps, what if we did this, would that make it better? But I couldn't do that for this young woman. I just couldn't. And I sat there and I looked at her and, I try and be very professional. And you know, Becky, you and I, we we get quite tearful, don't we? We're quite emotional women. <laughs>
2: yeah, so we you
1: were t- notoriously. And I remember I couldn't help it. I was like, I've got to be honest here because I'm a human being. And if I look you in the eye and I show no emotion because you've told me this incredible story then you know if that's just, I'm not being true that's not true to me and it's not true to this young woman I'm with and so I did I had a few tears in my eyes and this is a time when you could touch other people so I remember to put my hand on her hand at the end of, of when she completed telling me what she she wanted to tell me and I just said to her you know I said thank you for being so brave and telling me your story and thank you for trusting me with such private and intimate information
2: yeah
1: definitely. and I thought We've got work to do together I'm going to be here to support her for the next couple of years I want to make this you know her becoming a mum as positive of, of an experience as possible
2: and um it just is a moment that will stick with me yeah for the rest of my life I think it's so important I remember Michelle O'Don, one of the consultants that I trained with and he yes. I remember him always saying sometimes actually the most powerful thing you can do is just to sit and be with somebody in whatever space they're in and and not speak you know and absolutely just, and, and actually I yes. have found the same some some of the most powerful experiences I've had with women has been no commute no verbal communication we've mm. literally just sat in each other's space in whatever's going on you know and I think it's amazing yeah. isn't it? I, it it's taught me so much actually about really being with people when they need Absolutely. you, it, you know. and this
1: non-verbal communication we have as humans like this mm. look this touch this kind of like you know we're on the same team and my heart goes out to you and you know that just because of the presence i'm bringing to this conversation and mm. and yeah that that sitting on your hands doing nothing as in not responding or trying to fix it just being an ear that really truly is listening is yeah. is very powerful what about yeah, you becky definitely. what what sort of you know comes to mind when you think about something that you'll never forget
2: well equally quite quite a sad quite a sad experience same as you i think one of the moments that I can think that really changed the way I worked with women was supporting my first couple who suffered loss. So I was doing for a couple at thirty-six weeks. They found out that they had lost their baby—an unfortunate complication—and oh. we had a meeting. You know, they, they called me and we had a meeting and we had lots of tears and and I have to say I wasn't quite sure at that time as a doula what what would happen because I kind of thought well I guess maybe this is where I leave them I'd never really experienced mm-hmm. stillbirth before and they said no actually if it's okay with you we'd we'd really like you to still doula for us and we'd like to go ahead and have as natural a birth as possible and it was really beautiful listening to them because actually what they were saying is that they were still going to get to meet their baby it was still going to be their their birth and even though it would be a very short bittersweet meeting they wanted it to still be as beautiful as possible and so I was like of course you know I'll 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 be there in whatever capacity you need me and so we were and it was induction so I was there for quite a while with them but I think it what really blew me away was that in so much sadness there could also be so much beauty you know it was in in so many ways like any other birth you know it was really beautiful they were a supportive couple supporting each other um You know, birth worked as birth does. But I think, again, it was that there were a lot of moments where I didn't really have much to say, but I was just there. And and that was the, the bit that really supported them. And, and so I think I learned a lot about, again, not fixing a situation, mm. but just being there to hold whatever situation is playing out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once baby was born, I mean, there was that that deafening silence that you're not you're so programmed to hear a baby cry. You know, that was heartbreaking. But then... They wanted to talk about the birth. They wanted to talk about their baby. You know, we we cooed over her and we, you know, we celebrated what an amazing job the mum had done at birthing her baby. And, you know, so and those bits were really important. And I think it just really changed the way that I work with women with loss, I guess. And and that mm-hmm. was something that was, you know, it's a bit of a taboo subject still in our culture, isn't it? Um, So that definitely is something I'll never forget. And that has sort of changed the way that I work for sure. So on a sort of brighter note of of changing you and I have both also had the opportunity to work abroad and I think you know that is definitely changed the way that we work as well hasn't it because when I first met you I would often talk about you know working abroad and how other Mm. cultures really celebrate and support women in birth and pregnancy and just how much more nurturing happens as part of their general care. And Becky, when you were talking to me about it,
1: I got proper FOMO about all these wonderful experiences <laughs> that you've had over the years. And basically, I obviously, because I've worked at Big City Trust and I've, you know, had the joy of working with wonderful midwives from all over the world who would sort of come to London to spend a bit of their career. So I had met obviously midwives um, from many, many different cultures, but I hadn't actually gone abroad and seen midwifery, seen that role play out in a very, yeah. very different culture
2: yeah, I think I think going going away and just just the difference that the, the way that um birth is so celebrated and I think something again that really changed me was was looking at so so my experience of, of the postnatal period in the UK was very much like you have your baby and then you've got to really quickly try and bounce back and get back into your skinny jeans and be back out and pretending mm. like, you know, nothing's changed. And then I had the you know, amazing honour of being able to sort of go and train abroad and it's so different, you know. Women go to bed and they are waited on and they're treated so beautifully. And they, you know, it's like the postpartum body is celebrated. And I remember working mm. with some Mexican midwives learning the so and we were talking about celebrating postnatal body. And one of the midwives that I was with, there with said, "Yeah, well, in the UK, you know, uh, we've got a." bounce back and you know we've got to kind of we've got to look like we haven't had a baby and the midwife was like what so you you try really hard to have a baby you carry your baby for nine months you birth your baby and then you have to look like you haven't had a baby and we were like uh yeah and then uh, later on in the course she was talking about love lines you know love lines this love lines we were like what what do you mean And she lifted up her top and showed us her stretch marks and we said, oh, we call them stretch marks. And she was so cross. She was like such ugly language. And that made me realise that we need to change a little bit. You know, we need to celebrate the postnatal body and the postnatal period. And I know that's what you got from Morocco, didn't you? Absolutely. Well, that opportunity came up that I could go and spend a week in Morocco working
1: with traditional midwives over there. I was curious about it, but I was wondering whether it seemed like quite a a big thing to do. And you were like, do it, do it. You won't regret it. It'll be one of the best things you do. So off I trotted and I left my three kids at home and I'd never been sort of abroad and away from my children so that we were in different countries I remember actually really bizarrely on the plane on the way out because I was feeling a bit wobbly um I'm not great at flying anyway but I was feeling a bit wobbly <laughs> and I don't know if you remember me telling you this but I was sort of going ah practicing my hypnobirthing breathing on there to calm myself down and then I literally saw two rows in front of me on the plane was a lady I had taught hypnobirthing to the year before in London and I sort of called, I, I remembered her name and I sort of I, I sort of called her name out and she turned round and she said oh what are you doing on here and I said I'm going out to Morocco to work with them um, with midwives for a week and she went oh this is my first weekend away since I had the baby we're going on a hen weekend and we had a lovely natter and I thought oh if that's not a sign that this is the right thing to be doing yeah. I don't know what it is but anyway I arrived out there and uh, we say a beautiful beautiful old house in the countryside and we got to meet these lovely older ladies they're probably in their 70s and 80s very very experienced traditional midwives who um taught us all about, you know, how they support women. um This is in North Morocco. And basically, you know, from, from the moment your baby's born, you're just scooped up and your community takes takes away any extra or excess work or, you know, things that you need to be doing or, or that you your roles would have been in the community beforehand. And your focus is on healing, adjusting to having your baby and looking after your little baby with the support actually of others around you. And these midwives come in and they I just loved to see this it was just so beautiful to see and they just have these traditions where they come in and they mum will feed the baby and then the baby will be taken and looked after another usually a lady in, in the family and then she will be taken down to the hammam and she'll have her eucalyptus scrub and she'll have her hair washed by another and then you know people will be singing and chanting and telling stories and it's a real sort of almost like you know it's just a beautiful experience to be a part of mm. and we sort of got to observe all of this and then so actually got lovely. to be be the woman as well step into that role we had it done to us and then you would be taken out of the haman you'd be wrapped up you'd be dried down you would have as we've spoken to before closing the bones so using all these lovely mm. um, materials and fabrics to sort of wrap around the mum until she's actually to a point of looking like a swaddled newborn baby because of course what they're <laughs> celebrating over there yeah. is that this coming of age this you know mothering the mother that we talk about and Mm. then they literally tucked her up into bed and she slept for about an hour and then she was woken up with hot teas um, and protein hot proteins because they believe in giving new mums hot food is better for healing and her baby's brought back to her and you know she feels well rested and and Mentally well, and this happens every couple of days for a few weeks, a month. It doesn't just happen once or twice. It's continuous. And um, we did have a lady who was translating for us, and we asked one of the um, these lovely traditional midwives, you know, about you know why they have fifteen children each. And she said, "Well, if you got care like that, wouldn't you want to have fifteen children?" <laughs>
2: I was sort of "Yes, thought, I would. Yes, I would yeah. like to be
1: looked after that like that a month <laughs> after the baby's born."
2: Yes, it was. Well, a, this is the a thing, really isn't it? The experience. way that we sort of approach the postnatal period in the UK, unfortunately, leaves women feeling really depleted because it's yeah. it's this fast pace, like constantly doing stuff, doing stuff. And I think actually, you know, slowing it down and and nourishing a new mum like that, you probably don't mm. feel quite so done in, do you? After you've had your baby, totally,
1: and seeing that she's open and she's vulnerable and she's new, even if it's her sixth baby this is a new experience for her. This is a growing of her family. This is a new experience of motherhood for her. So yeah. absolutely. And it's about just sort of slowing that postnatal period down, acknowledging the incredible work your body's done and the healing that's now going on and the adjusting once again to being a parent, that that falling in love with your baby, getting to know your baby. And like you say, yes, there's that, that idea about that bouncing back and, you know, look how I'm looking uh, in my clothes 10 days after the baby's born, which is you know, it's all very well if that if that person is feeling good about that and such, but actually then other women might compare themselves and feel bad that they're not at that point yet. And actually, to be honest with you, it's very normal for you know your body is doing such incredible things. It's about You know, giving it respect, giving it time, really honouring the, you know, what it's done, what it's achieved by having this lovely baby for you.
2: Yeah, Um, definitely. And I think I think one of my favourite things about the way lots of other cultures approach the postnatal period is that they don't give women a ridiculous false time frame of six weeks, like six weeks. That is the time frame that we say over here and it's ludicrous. I mean like no, I didn't even is. know my name after 6 weeks. You know, it's and, laughable, in a- quite frankly. <laughs> is annoying is what it is.
1: <laughs> we talk about this as so 6 weeks. Like you've I you've know. spent 9 months growing a baby. Your body has birthed a baby, whether it be yeah. vaginally or abdominally, whatever, you know, your however your birth has unfolded. There is a healing and adjusting period afterwards. So
2: 6 weeks is nothing. No, and your hormones so really haven't even sorted themselves no. out, have they, in six weeks? No. And so I love the fact that in other cultures, you know, obviously, there's lots of women who go to bed for 40 days and, you know, and, and then you only start getting up. So that that's an extended postnatal period and you're not expected to kind of snap back really quickly.
1: And rest and adjustment is really, really, you know, respected and honoured in those communities. And it's lovely to see. And we always say, don't we, Becky? Realistically, come on, nine months to 18 months after you've had your baby you know you'll never be the same person you were before but you might start feeling a little bit more like you you've gone back towards that that baseline and basically the bottom line is just be gentle and kind with yourself and you know it's okay if if you're still feeling completely a bit wobbly emotionally six even 12 Mm. weeks after you've had your baby. Very, very normal. Yeah, definitely.
2: In my bodywork training, actually, we said double, you know, double the time it takes to grow your baby to get, you know, your, for your body to strengthen back up again. So, yeah, that makes would perfect be, yeah.
1: sense.
2: Ready to pop the question?
1: The work we do, Becky, obviously, it can be really, really emotional at times, but it's also encompasses the full spectrum of emotions. And there can, (laughs) you know, there can be some very, very funny moments. And again, you and I have been sort of tickled each other by just talking about some of the things that's happened over the years that have been very amusing. What what comes to mind when I I ask you what's one of the funniest moments
2: you can think of? Again, it's really hard, isn't it, to pick one because there are so many mm. like you say, because it's quite an intense situation, there are so many moments where appropriately or inappropriately you all end up absolutely cracking up because of something that's happened. but I think I think one of the funniest ones that I'll never forget is um I had a really lovely couple who were trying for a home birth, but the baby wasn't coming, and she was overdue, so she decided to go into hospital and they were talking about having an induction. And the midwife was really lovely and said, look, I, you know, I know this isn't what you wanted. So why don't we see if we could sort of like maybe maybe get those waters? Because actually she was having mini surges. So she was sort of in the very early stages. Let's see if we can get that wa- those waters to break. Come on, we must be able to get those waters to break. you know, And then then labour will, will go on. So we went up and down the stairs and we were, you know, walking loads and everything was picking up. But time was ticking and, and she had a bit of a deadline and the midwife had said to me, I'd worked with the midwife before and she said, Becky, come on, you don't, you know, some good acupressure points that are really good for pushing baby down, you know, let's burst that water sack. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll try them. And suddenly the pressure was on because it, I really wanted it to work for these women. You know, the midwife had suddenly, you know, talk about managing expectations, had said that I could help the waters to break with these acupressure points maybe tiny bit of ego wanting to be good at my job so I was like okay go. so I was sort of down on my knees there's an acupressure point on the inside of the ankle called spleen six that's a really good kind of downward downward force kind of acupressure point so I did one ankle and I did the other but it just wasn't quite strong enough and I thought no I have to do both at the same time so I was on my hands and knees And to to be able to kind of do both at the same time, my head was sort of between her legs. She was starker, standing up, you know, swaying at the same time and having her surges. Pressed into both ankles, suddenly felt like a really strong pulse and was like, "Okay, wicked, this is it. And then her waters went all over the back of my head. They just went really quickly with this massive gush. And luckily, I'm not squeamish at all. Uh, But I thought oh what do I do because I can't lift my head up because if I lift my head up it'll all run down my face so I had to like crawl backwards with my with my head still down trickling down (laughs) they were absolutely cracking up like everyone was crying with laughter in the room and obviously what we know is that oxytocin is our is our brilliant birthing hormone so she was cracking up but at the same time having these intense surges because not only had her waters broken but she was crying with laughter yeah and by the time i'd crawled back to the edge of the room turned around to get a towel and wipe my face off i turned back around and the baby was literally in her arms and had like shot out so um yeah she was she was i think she was already quite dilated but i think she'd um she'd obviously you know shot shot through the dilation quite quickly but Mm. that was definitely a moment i won't forget (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness.
1: What about you? Again, lots of funny, silly things that have happened over the years, but I do always think about this one situation which I often mention actually when I'm teaching antenatal classes which was when I was a student midwife and I was looking after it was my third year very 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 close to qualifying so I was in with a lady and her um partner on my own it was I think it was, you know four in the morning the lights were down low it was a water birth at the hospital and I was sort of kneeling beside um the birthing pool where she was and she suddenly transitioned, which is where you sort of, you know, you go that nine, ten centimetres dilated and you go more into that natural urge to, to bear down, to push down the babies on its way. And um, she turned to, she sort of had this almighty, brilliant surge and she went, oh, wow. and did that <laughs> lovely long move yeah. that women do. And I've done myself and I'm birthing. And she knew like her instinct just took over and she, opened her eyes wide after she'd had this surge and she turned to her partner and she said, it's time, put the song on. And I was like, <laughs> ooh, what is going to happen here? And um, it was back sort of the, obviously going back to my my training um back in like, I don't know, it must've been like 2007 time, the end of my training. So we still had CD players in all of the rooms. So her partner went and got this CD out of his bag and he popped it in. And the next thing I heard was the opening sequence to The Circle of Life from The Lion King. (laughs) And so (laughs) literally, you know, that very, you know, you can't, when you hear it, you know exactly what what that song is. And so, you know, he put it on and she just was like, yes. And like this roar came out of her and it was just this amusing, but like lovely at the same time. It transpired that she'd had her first baby She'd birthed to that song the first time around a couple of years before. And so she was like definitely want to have it again as a little bit of a like family tradition this (laughs) is how we birth our babies that so and it was lovely but it was also like we all had a bit of a giggle as well and like you say laughter is very good for oxytocin which helps have us you know us have these lovely efficient and effective um surges contractions but also it's really good for endorphins which is our body's natural pain killing sort of pain relief and of course that room was just then absolutely overflowing with endorphins overflowing with oxytocin lovely lovely birth and just one that really comes to mind
2: I love the thing about you know with with births often they can be quite long sometimes and and if they're not long then they're usually quite intense short births Mm. so you know sort of when you're tired or you're in that intense situation when you laugh it's like that proper belly laugh isn't it like everybody like I don't think I've had as good belly laugh sometimes out of the birth room as I have in because it's sort of it's so heightened, isn't it? It's, it's hilarious. Oh my
1: goodness, so much. And and that's another thing, you know, that's incredible about midwifery, incredible about doula work, that you get to be a part of that. You get to mm. be in that that moment. You know, this might become a normal job for us to do, but this is not you know an everyday experience in a woman and her partner's life this is something extraordinary and you get to be you get to bear witness to that you get to sort of be right there in those first moments of a life and you can't really put into words what that feels like or how that you know what that means really it's kind of like outside of time and space that experience that you share with the couples that you work with
2: yeah definitely so Throughout this podcast, we'll be asking all of our guests the same question, which is, if you could add a note to a mother box headed out for a new mum with your best bit of advice on it, what would it say? I think it's only fair that we answer this question ourselves, seeing as we're going to be yeah, asking absolutely. everybody else. So what would you put in, Lex?
1: It's a tricky one because, I mean, this, again, it comes back to, oh, you know, a, a, someone who's about to be a brand new mum, there's so much that you'd love to just, you know, mm. again, scoop them up, follow, um, you know, things that have helped you over time. But I think really, I'm um, sort of my bit of advice would be to encourage it back to that expectant mum. And I think, again, it's something that, comes up when I'm teaching classes which is that and I totally understand this because even though I've been a midwife when I had my first baby I just wanted everybody's else's you know everyone else's knowledge and guidance and advice and I sort of didn't realise how important my own intuition that primal instinct that is there it's kind of laying and it might be a bit dormant before you have a baby but believe me it's sort of it roars into life at some point after you have a little one and so Mm. I always I always tell my couples just to know it might not feel like it at the time but your baby is going to be the best teacher that you have ever had this often you know in context this is usually because I'm there teaching them at the time and to really know that you know they are going to become the expert of their baby very very quickly and just to trust that process and they'll understand when it happens you know they understand what what that is and I remember mum saying afterwards oh gosh you really do learn you learn very quickly what's their hungry cry and what's their tired cry and what's their I'm not feeling very comfortable I've got a bellyache cry and I said yeah you do I probably wouldn't notice it with your baby but you do because you're the expert of your baby and I remember actually recently somebody um ordered one of our mother boxes. And the message inside the card was, you are the perfect mum to your perfect baby. And I actually emailed her back and I said, can I share that? Because that is just absolutely spot on. And she said, yeah, I think every mum needs to hear it
2: definitely and i find actually with my massage clients that one of the like recurrent conversations we have is that they get so confused by so much conflicting advice and so mm. much kind of and everyone has their own way of doing it and i always say exactly the same like don't you know listen and take what you find useful and discard the rest because your way is is going to be the right way for you and the baby yeah. like we all do it slightly differently so yeah absolutely um, now i think that's brilliant Definitely. No, I agree. And what about you, Becky? What would you what would be your golden
1: nugget of advice or a little nugget. bit of information to share? Do
2: you know, I think I would stick with our classic first week in bed, second week on the sofa and rest is always best. Because yes, I think absolutely. there's such a tendency, particularly over here, to rush back to to mm-hmm. prove that you are Doing it all and you're nailing it and you know look at me I'm 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 up and I'm dressed and I'm in my full makeup and I'm looking after my baby and I'm also setting up a new business you know it's kind of like yes, we, totally. we, we're not there's no honouring of taking it slow I saw a post recently that said something about you know what if we saw rest as actually doing the work as well like for a new mum rest is so important yeah. if you rest. Your milk's going to come in better. You know, if you rest, you will pick up the cues of your baby better because you'll be less busy and and less distracted. You'll heal better. You know, Mm. your hormones will balance better. It's sort of the less stress we put on our body in those early weeks, that the better our body is able to use the energy Mm. to kind of heal and recover from birth there's something about being intentional really intentionally totally. taking it slowly and
1: yeah. and not feeling like oh my goodness i haven't been out of the house yet this week with this baby but thinking I have chosen to stay as close to my bed or the sofa as possible so i can rest yeah. whilst gently mobilizing you know what i'm like <laughs> with my defensive <laughs> practice yeah. Becky. Yeah. we don't want any blood um, clots
2: so we need to move move around just, but i just think just gently, but, you know yeah exactly but i think first week in bed and second week on the sofa is a good framework it's doable you know and i know there will be some people that say well i can't do that but Actually, with a little bit of organisation, mm. if you can pull somebody in, if you can ask for some favours, you know, have have your if you've got a toddler, have them in bed with you. You know, n- we're not saints. Put Peppa Pig on the iPad, but yeah, but lay absolutely. in bed with them and and do it. So, yeah, I think prioritising rest would would be would be one of my big top. And tips I think you're you're mum. spot
1: on with what you're just saying. And we've taught fourth trimester workshops before and things. And one of the things that we have to consider when we're going to become a parent again is a bit of organisation as to how we're going to look after ourselves Mm. really well postnatally and it's so common and obviously as a midwife at 36 week appointment I'd say oh have you done your birth plan and we talk through preferences and we'll have a look at options and what's important to that family and that mum to be but we very rarely in fact I don't think I've ever seen it in clinic where we say have you got a fourth trimester plan or a postnatal plan no just isn't done so basically we're emphasizing there and almost like encouraging women not to focus or spend time really considering what's important for them when it comes to their healing and adjusting after the baby's born and actually if anything it's you know it is as important isn't it Becky
2: I mean I would I would go as far as to say maybe even more in a way because Mm. it's really good to do a birth plan obviously it's great to get your head around all the things that you know are available for you but birth is unpredictable and it happens the way it happens and it's quite out of our control whereas the postnatal period isn't so out of our control we can actually put stuff in place ahead of time and my god you'd thank yourself for it later wouldn't you when you sort of you know. No I completely agree and you really can
1: have cause over how things are unfolding as the weeks progress in the postnatal period and it's like Mm. who's going to come into that little sort of that bubble that you're creating for yourself as you adapt and you adjust and who you can you know who you can rely on who you can turn to you know we talk about this often but everything down to what you'd what you'd like to eat during that time and If you need childcare for other children, how that's going to work out. All of those things, all of those considerations. I think just make women just feel, again, really held, really supported and allow them to be very, very intentional at this is my time to heal and adjust. This is my time to get to know my baby. There's nowhere else I really need to be at this point. And other people to know their roles in that and to know how they can support this brand new, lovely mum best as well. Definitely. Talking about births, we love a we love a good birth story, you and I obviously. And you've got a
2: couple of lovely daughters.
1: What springs to mind when you think about your birth experiences, yourself when you went through this, Becky?
2: Well, I tell you what, what always brings to mind. I laugh about this with my clients quite a lot because i they always say, oh, you must have had the best births because you must have known so much. And I'm like, y- I did know a lot. And I was very lucky that I had supported lots and lots of women through lots of different types of birth. So I knew, you know, I was i was trying for a home birth with Ella, but I, I was very open to the fact that it, I could end up anywhere you know Mm -hmm. so I I didn't put pressure on myself in that sense but it really is true when they say no matter how much you know nothing prepares you for your own birth and I completely ballsed it up the first time so I was overdue I was really overdue and I was in and out having my checks and so I was feeling quite stressed and I was trying to do everything I could to induce the labour acupuncture curries walking you know the lot of it and I think that when labor started I was so overexcited that it finally happened because I was on the cusp of like not being allowed to have a home birth mm. that I I basically did what we tell women not to do and I climbed the stairs bounced on the ball lit all the candles you know I was in really really early labor and I should have been resting I should have gone back to bed I should have been sleeping but i was squatting and i was you know wiggling my hips and i was literally and so by the time the midwife arrived i was absolutely exhausted i had literally done myself in and she was great and she sort of managed to put me to bed and i had some gas in air and i got in and out of the pool and i did manage to sleep a little bit but I was so tired. And actually, I did end up having to transfer in because her heart rate was a little bit, you know, it wasn't dangerously Mm. funny, but it was a little bit iffy. And we did have a bit of a comedy moment because um, Barney had been sleeping and the midwife said, I think we need to go in. I think you need to get your husband to call an ambulance. So he sort of came in half asleep. And I said, Oh, could you could you call an ambulance? And he said, Yeah, what's the number? And <laughs> and in, in my kind of sleep deprived, yeah. you know, high on gaston air, I just got the giggles because I just thought it was so funny and she was not impressed. But basically in his defence, he thought maybe there was like a separate home birth ambulance yeah, that came absolutely. and got you. Anyway, was was no no drama, but um I went in and I just I needed a little bit of von Tusing to get her out. But second time round, I knew better and I listened to my own advice and I tried for another home birth with Isabel. And when I went into labour, I went back to bed and I put on my hypnobirthing downloads and I slept and I slept for a really long time, actually. And I kept waking up with surges, but I kept thinking, no, 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 rest, rest. And so I think by the time I did actually get out of bed, I was in quite established labour and it was Mm. it was smooth. It was a very... um, it was. It was an. E- I had an easy labour. I was very lucky. Actually, I had a very easy labour with her, but it it really reminded me that actually that what you do in that early in the early stages does make a bit of a difference. And mm. uh, and even midwives and doulas get it wrong because yeah, I I didn't I didn't do the right things the first time round. So yeah. Well, talking about you know ourselves and
1: not getting stuff wrong as such, but kind of perhaps also not always being able to preempt what's going to go on and like you say so many variables when it comes to birth I'm thinking about my own experience now with my first baby and I planned to go into hospital the the trust where I worked actually and who my team would be and my colleagues and it was all had all these these ideas as to what was going to happen but I actually lived about 45 minutes away from my hospital Um, and on the day when everything kicked off what happened was I got up in the morning and I needed my morning we that you desperately need when you're nine months pregnant <laughs> and I went to the loo and then I went back to the bed and I thought oh it's like eight o'clock in the morning Dan had gone to work and I sat in the bed and I thought I'm going to read for a bit and no sooner had I sat my bottom back down on the mattress bang and my waters broke and actually it's quite unusual for waters to break uh, to be the first sign of things happening very often yeah. it's obviously the niggles and it's it's the did you get surges. a nice gush I got a big gush
2: bugs oh, there was, n- it was
1: literally <laughs> no denying it it's <laughs> so obviously sometimes you can wonder whether it's just that the baby's bouncing on your on your trampoline bladder. But no, this was definitely yeah. this is waters breaking. And I popped a pad in and I went, oh, my goodness, here we go. And even though I've been a midwife for six years, this is the first time I'd actually birthed myself. This is a big deal. And also, and I'm sure this will come up in further episodes in the podcast. I'd gone through a three-year infertility journey. And so this was my my baby that I'd, you know, I'd I'd had support with getting to this point. It It was major that he was finally coming very quickly after my waters broke, I started getting surges. So I started getting contractions probably within half an hour, rung my husband and I said to him quite casually, don't hurry back. First baby, it's probably going to take a while. And he said, no, no, I'm coming back now. He gets a bit more sort of jittery <laughs> about these things. So I went, all right, whatever. I'm being like, you know, cool as a cucumber. So he comes back on the bus, he literally gets off at the next stop, jumps back on the other one and and gets back home again. And it's got to have been 20 minutes later and I'm in the front room, breathing through the surges and I'm like, what is happening here? It's cranked up for me so fast. And having been at so many, so many, many, many births, I thought this is quite unusual for a first baby. I thought, well, maybe I'm just not... Maybe I'm just not like in the right mind space and I'm not coping, you know, with with these sensations, these early sensations. And I need to have a word with myself. And it rung up um, my very good friend who was the midwife who was going to be with me in the hospital, who was now said, I'm going to come to your house and just see you. And we thought we'd just have a cup of tea together. Um, because again it was by this stage it's probably just a couple of hours after my waters broke so it's still really early on and she came and she opened the door and i went oh claire i don't know what's going on i, I seemed to <laughs> these seemed to be so intense or so early and she said afterwards to me that when she saw me there she thought oh i'm going to examine alexis and she's going to be one or two centimeters dilated which you know it can happen happens very frequently you know yeah. if anyone goes through that you know it's very normal and please don't don't think badly of it if that does occur but she thought that was going to happen and to be perfectly honest with you I did as well but so she said should we examine you and see what's going on do an internal examination see what's going on and I said yeah could you please do that I'd really like to know and we went up to my bedroom and she did an internal examination and she looked at me she went well and I went what what and I bounced off the bed again because I was just thinking oh I can't lie on my back you know how uncomfortable it is when the baby's head's a bit low and I was standing beside her and she went well I've got to be honest with you we're not (laughs) going to make it into the hospital I was like wait what I was (laughs) like that was not the plan and she said Lex you're nine centimeters dilated and Basically, if if you know about the way it works with the cervix and how it opens is that we're looking to get to the point where we're sort of about 10 centimetres dilated as a a guidance. And I said, oh, my goodness. And um, that was that. And basically I had a baby because he was quite a big boy and he came out with his head at a slightly funny angle. I did have a couple of hours of pushing. So I had to give it a bit of welly in my bedroom. But I ended up giving birth uh, a couple of hours later to a £9.3 baby on my bedroom floor. And it was an unplaned <laughs> Nice un- job, un- lady. <laughs> so when you ask me about how were my births and what I remember, like, I was pretty surprised. I think, to be, if I'm honest, it was a very positive experience. But there was a bit of shell shock after he was born because I yeah. thought... What? And also I had this weird thing where I hadn't found out the sex of the baby, but I'd convinced myself it was a girl. I was like, Mother just knows there's a girl. And of course this great big nine (laughs) pound three bruiser of a boy comes out and I was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Just trying to get my head around that a little bit as well. But then the other thing I'd say that surprised me about birthing from a personal experience was how emotional it can feel. And specifically with my middle baby, so I've birthed three babies and my middle one my daughter she was born a little bit early I went into labor around about 36 weeks with her and I had actually planned to have a home birth with her off the back of what had happened with my son when he was born and I ended up going into the hospital so you know that we talk about these variables and things can change and Mm -hmm. I I headed in at five o'clock in the morning and I thought this wasn't what I was planning as I passed the, the lounge where my birthing pool was all set up and ready to go but I went in And I felt really safe and supported and looked after, uh, you know, even though I was on the delivery suite and that was the reverse of what I was thinking my plan A was going to be for my birth. But I was there. I actually so happened to know the doctor who was on the shift because even though it wasn't my hospital I worked at she had done rotations and we knew each other from my hospital amazing. so she came in to see me because the fact I was a little bit premature and I said to her you're not going to leave and bless her she was at the end of her shift about to go home and she stayed with me um, oh, to deliver amazing. the baby and actually didn't need to be delivered by a doctor but because I knew her I was like please Sarah don't go And she's like <laughs> I'll stay until the baby's born because you know I was just going into transition again and it was a second baby so things were ha- happening quite swiftly But during pushing Ivy out, I had a point where I just broke down into tears. And um, I remember Sarah turning to me and saying, oh, Lex, she said, "Um, don't worry, this baby's almost here. You don't need to be frightened. You know, you're doing so well. And I said, oh, Sarah, I said, I'm not frightened. I said, "Um, my dad had actually died the year before I had my first baby. And we were very, very, very close. We were two peas in a pod. And I just sort of said to her, I just feel like an overwhelming feeling that he's here right now with me. And I've actually mm. never had it, not ever since that day, like I had in that moment. Mm. It was just such a strong, strong feeling. And in my heart, I, I sort of had this acknowledgement that he could stay with me or his energy could be with me until she was born and she was safe and then he would have to whatever however you you would think about it would have to go again because you know his his support and love you know in that moment yeah uh, he he would leave and it's and I've told you this story before because it Mm -hmm. just was one of the most incredible bizarre beautiful moments of my life where he's with me she's about to be born and it was almost like instantly after she I delivered her after she I birthed her and she was on my chest and I thought the whole room went back into like uh you know Mm. everything was high definition and I was back in the room again and I was here in this moment on planet earth and I felt that his energy had had done what it needed to do and it had had to leave again and oh, what a
2: special I, moment I t-
1: yeah I, I say I say this from a point where I'm I'm perhaps I'm a spiritualist I'm not actually formally um religious but I can tell you in that moment that feeling was very very strong for me and yeah. it came out of nowhere so that would be the most surprising thing I have ever experienced during birth
2: I think the thing is in birth you go to depths of yourself don't you it's such an intense experience and and a Absolutely. lot of people have said the same thing it almost is slightly out of body or they have... Um, had memories or I remember a client of mine saying that she could smell her grandma's perfume in the room mm, and nobody you know she said it. after the baby was born it, the smell had gone but it taps into parts of your maybe your subconscious that you m- don't access very often probably because of the intensity yeah, I feel like you know I was able to tap into something deep within
1: that subconscious mind that certainly I I can't do on, on the average day and I haven't been able to access since and I actually remember thinking when I had my third son I thought oh yeah I just so silly but I thought oh I'm going to get to be with my dad again and it was really interesting because I remember saying to Dan my husband afterwards oh I didn't feel it this time and he Mm. said well you know when Ivy was born she was premature and we were a bit frightened and we were a little bit worried that she was coming a bit earlier and hoping that she you know that she was okay and maybe that's just where that energy needed to be was that that was the right birth for, for that experience in that moment
2: yeah oh that makes me a bit sad
1: <laughs> oh darling <laughs> but it was it was it was very you know it was a be- it was a beautiful experience it really was
2: definitely well i think that brings us to the end of this very first episode of notes from the mother box Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really nice chatting to each other and I do actually feel like we've learnt a little bit more about each other.
1: We'd love to hear what you think of the podcast, so please feel free to get in touch with us over on Instagram. Notes from the MotherBox.
2: We learn so much by talking to each other, sharing stories, and being supported by those who have walked the path before us. And that's why we love doing this podcast.
1: If you want to know more about the work that we do, look out for our books, The Little Book of Self-Care for New Mums, and The Little Book of Self-Care for Mums-to-Be, where we will talk about
2: birth, parenthood, relationships, and much more. We've got some fantastic guests lined up this season, so don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Like, share, follow us over on Instagram and help us to spread the word.
1: See you next time on Notes from the Mother Box.